Optimize My Life, the ultimate radio show where we unlock the secrets to living our best lives. Now, before we dive into this exciting journey of self-improvement and empowerment, I want to take a moment to thank our incredible sponsor, The Hope Collection, for making this show possible. Their unwavering commitment to spreading hope and positivity in our lives is truly remarkable. We believe in the power of interaction, so we want you to be a part of this incredible journey. Call in, write to us, or connect on social media. We'd love to hear your questions, experiences, and challenges. Together, we'll create a thriving community of like-minded individuals, supporting each other to thrive and shine. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to Roadmap in Your Life. This is Heather Mahoney. And, of course, we have an amazing story tonight of Jen Fredericks, and she's going to tell us how she redesigned her life these past seven years from not one, but two kidney transplants. Can you believe that? Okay, so hold on and say, thankful that you have working kidneys, because um, Jen is here to tell us how she did it, and I cannot wait to hear her story of how she did all this amazing work, became a life coach, helped with her daughter, all sorts of things that were going on for her at the time. And at the end, we're going to tell you, of course, how to get in touch with Jen and how to get in touch with me if you have any questions. So, hey, happy Tuesday again and welcome. If you're not in New Hampshire, you're in the other 49 states and you're not voting right now. So, Let's get ready to roll. Hey, Jen, how are you? Hello there. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. And my business partner with the four legs is totally quiet for the moment. So let's be thankful for that. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. I I put my business partner with four legs out of the room. So. (laughs) Oh, mine would just make all sorts of noise. So that's not going to happen. Oh, that's okay. Well, thank you so much for having me on this evening. I'm, I'm really excited to, to chat this evening with you. I'm excited to chat with you because you have such a wonderful story. And I, I don't do really big introductions because I want you to be the one that introduced yourself and tell us how how you redesigned your life and every single thing because we want to know how we can replicate that if we are struggling with our own little challenges in life and of course here at roadmap and we focus on four things you know you may be ending of a relationship you may have had a career stop you may have had health or financial challenges or you lost a loved one so 
let's hear from Jen Fredericks and let's tell me a little bit about you. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, uh, I am on my fourth kidney. Um, I've had two kidney transplants, one when I was in high school back in 93, and then another one in, in 2012. Um, when I think about how I mapped out that part of my life, I would have to say, uh, well, when I was a teenager, I thought I was immortal. So I was just like, fix me. <laughs> and uh, was grateful to have a really great care team and a wonderful donor in my father. And so I was able to experience all of those quote unquote milestones of growing up um, for 18 years with his help from the kidney transplant. Uh, you know, graduated high school, uh, participated in my passion, which was theater, then went to uh, college, got a, a great degree, met my husband, uh, so fell in love, got married, bought a house, and adopted a, a beautiful daughter. Oh, nice. And so, so quick yeah. question. Did you always have kidney challenges? That's a great question. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, in middle school, I was just kind of sick all, all the time, and we weren't quite sure what it was. Um, thought it was uh, mono, and then walking pneumonia, and then, in, you know, oh, is it chronic fatigue syndrome? We don't know what it is. And then all of a sudden, uh, my kidney um, function started to show itself as not doing very well. And they think it was an untreated case of strep throat that maybe I was just predisposed to um, my kidneys being affected by that. And so I, I lost kidney function. Um, it was not expected. Um, I am going to say something weird and say that I'm grateful that I had that experience. Because oh, tell me why you're grateful. Really, yeah, well, it, it really helped me see the best in humanity. Um, with, you know, both of my kidney transplants. It, of course, my immediate family were right on board wanting to be tested when I was younger. But then even my second transplant in 2012, I had friends of my husband saying that they would be tested. I, my fraternal twin brother is my donor. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Yes. So, again, the best in humanity. Now, I am blessed to have had such a wonderful support network and, and all of that. And that's why I feel grateful that it happened because it's part of my journey to becoming who I am now and helping me learn the lessons that I'm here to learn in my lifetime, which I believe in. Um, and so that, that's why I'm, that's why I'm grateful. I mean, did it suck? Yeah. Was it hard? Yeah. So much uncertainty and fear and confusion, yet when you know how to support yourself and other people know how to support you, it makes it just a little bit easier. So um, immediate question. And so you're grateful for for humanity and they're stepping up for friends and family. So why did it suck if you had so much support around you? What made it suck? 
well, you know, you spend a month in the hospital by yourself when you're 14 or 15, except for your, your family. Um, you know, the physical pain. Um, there's a, a quote I often remember for myself, and um, maybe in show notes or something we could write who, who actually said it, because I can't recall at this time. But the fact that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So it sucked because it was painful. But I was able to lessen the suffering because of the support I received and the great care I was receiving. And the way I was able to pause and take the next right step and not get too far ahead of myself in deciding how this was going to affect or change my life in the future. Got you. So how are you taking care of yourself today? How, how, how do you make that a priority? So physically, um, I, of course, follow my medication regimen that is um, prescribed by my care team, as well as going and getting all of my, my tests and everything, my labs, um, drinking plenty of water. It's very important for kidney patients to stay hydrated. Um, I wish I could say that I ate really healthily, and I do try at times, but I also love my junk food, so... Um, you got to live some too. Uh, and I enjoy, you know, yoga. So that's physically how I support myself. And then I look at three other areas as I support myself, um, and especially my energy. I look at my you know, physical energy and health. I look at my mental, my emotional, as well as my spiritual. Um, and, you know, the last three they don't come as easily for most people, and they didn't come as easily for me, especially when my daughter was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness um, in 2015. And so when you're asking me how I supported myself through my illness, that seems easy for me to do. It was when my daughter was diagnosed with a, a life-threatening illness that everything kind of fell and I needed to look for new ways to support myself and first of all how's your daughter doing today she she is doing pretty well you know we're we're managing her diagnosis she has a low-grade brain tumor diagnosed when she was seven and today she started her second semester of her freshman year in high school so you know it's it is yeah I mean we're managing as as we can, you know, same as how I manage my physical health. We work with her care team and she follows her medication regimen and all of those things. Um, and thankfully, I was able to, as you mentioned, like redesign my life at that time when she was diagnosed and my corporate career was seemingly coming to an end as I was looking for a layoff. And I was able to find, you know, this um, modality of coaching. Um, and I thought I was doing it for my career. Turned out I was doing it to keep myself going. Um, oh, tell me how. How it, how it kept, kept me going? Yeah. Oh, well, so in coaching, we do our own work first. And I was not very self-aware that I knew of. I learned how to become more self-aware. I was a, a very big people pleaser, drained my energy, 
I was able to learn how to set more healthy boundaries for myself, how to communicate more effectively, how to interact in relationships where I view myself as enough and worthy and also view the other person as enough and worthy so that, you know, we can effectively communicate and be in relationship with each other. Um, mindset shifts, perspective shifts, mantras, understanding how, you know, all of those things within us humans work together to really shape how we experience and show up in life. Those aren't things I ever thought about, you know, like even when I was ill, it was kind of like I was still on that hamster wheel of like getting up and doing the things I needed to do, but not really thinking about what I wanted to do. So you were doing that to serve me. So you were doing that to serve others, but not yourself. Is that what you're saying? I would say, so when I started taking uh, my certification for life coaching, I was doing it to help others. Yes. And I ended up serving myself first. So then I can now better serve others. How long did that process take you? Oh, man. I mean, I think it's still going, but um, my certification was uh, like eight or nine months long. Okay. Um, during that entire time, I was healing before I started really working with clients. Okay. So you're working with clients to help them navigate and redesign. What are you helping them to do? Oh, sure. Well, now <laughs> I was doing general life coaching. So just to help people experience life better. Now I really focus on helping people build their prosilience or their proactive resilience so they can face life's challenges with more confidence and calm and contentment. And I, I really do love focusing on working with patients and caregivers. Isn't it funny how our life experiences come back to service later as we look forward and move into the world of serving others? Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, I was just on a call earlier with a support group um, for my daughter's illness and was talking about how when I was younger, I did not want to identify that much as a, a kidney patient, right? I didn't go out and seek those volunteer opportunities and whatnot for decades. And now it's come around full circle where I am combining, you know, they say you turned your pain into your purpose and passion. Mm-hmm. Well, I've found my vehicle to do that. And that's through through coaching. And, and that's amazing. And and I I applaud you so much because it takes us such a long time to recognize what's in front of our face. Yeah. And, you know, and we go through the denial stage or the hiding stage. I know I hid myself under the pillows or under the blankets forever because I was cloaked in a, a blanket of 
for lack of a better word, but it's probably the appropriate word, of shame. I did not want to feel or be judged by others for whatever the discrepancy or the negativity that I had. So, therefore, I would, like, hide it. Yeah. And, and, and that, I, I, you know, when I listen to your story and you mention all of the amazing people that stepped up and, and gave you a hug of support, and say, okay, you can, you can rely on us. You can have my kidney, which is a great, <laughs> great gift in every aspect. I can't even find the word to say what an amazing gift that is to say, okay, I'm going to give you a part of me so that you can move forward and be a gift to someone else. You know, I, I'm going to call it the Starbucks effect because it's like, <laughs> yes, pay it forward. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I was, I was thinking to someone about that this week, and he said, I've never had the Starbucks effect. I said, I've had it like three or four times in my life. Oh. <laughs> Literally the Starbucks effect, you know. You know, my friend Anita called me the gift receiver or the gift whisperer because I get the most amazing gifts that you can believe. Never a kidney, though, but, you know. <laughs> I, well, you know what like, they say, what you put out, you reap. Okay, so did you put out a kidney? Well, no, but, you know, like, no, I know the, the I love know, and the energy and the care. Uh, no, I didn't have any kidneys left. So <laughs> I, I know, I, I know, I know, I know. I, I, was, I was just joking. No, it, it oh, no. Like... you know what? Humor, humor is one of my um, is part of one of my resilience muscles. Man, if you can't laugh at something, I don't know what else I can do at times. Exactly, and and those moments of hurt or despair or, you know, when you feel like a total failure, I mean, laughter becomes such a great medicine, such a great medicine in in that respect. So, you know, okay. So, so tell me more about how you, how you put pain it forward through your coaching or, uh, well, before I even get to that part. Yeah. You know, your your dad was recipient number, giver number one, or giver number one, and um, your brother-in-law, am I correct when I say brother-in-law? You are. I mean, we kind of, we kind of regard each other as siblings now, but yes, definitely. I met him because I, I you know, I was dating his twin brother, and <laughs> then we got married. Oh, you weren't even married yet. Well, we were married. We were we met when we were in early college, and then yes, I was married um, to my husband when his his brother so selfless, selflessly gave me a, a kidney. Wow. Okay, so I, I'm just curious. Help my curiosity or satisfy my curiosity yeah. with respect to that. So he he. Uh, 
do you guys celebrate the anniversary of your resurgence? Tell me, what do you do? Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. So um, I usually send him a really funny kidney meme uh, over text or whatnot, and I always make sure to thank him um, via phone that day. He lives about an hour and a half away from us, so I don't get to see him on that day every year. But last year was our 10-year out from transplant anniversary, and um, we were planning to to take my brother-in-law and his wife um, out for a really nice dinner and celebrate, and um, unfortunately, we weren't able to. Just some illnesses popped up for, you know, their kiddos or, or my kiddo, and so we had to postpone, and we postponed until this year. So we were able to take them out finally to celebrate that milestone of our of the kidney transplant and it going so well, um, you know, even, even now. And it was a lovely celebration and um, he almost doesn't want to be recognized. And he feels, I think a little shy about, about it. And I always let him know, Hey, I may be talking about you on this podcast or this radio show. And he's like, that's fine. You know, I want people to know the importance of, of donation and, you know, living donation and even, you know, donating to someone that you don't know. Um, but you can tell that he doesn't always like the accolades. Oh, wow. So what was the celebration? I'm so speechless because you're the first actual um, organ recipient that I know. And it's so fascinating uh-huh. Well, so we took them out for dinner, and we live in Wisconsin, so, um, and and I'm still trying to be careful with other illnesses that are floating around with my immunosuppression that keeps my kidney working, so my immune system is lowered so that my body doesn't reject the kidney or say, hey, that kidney doesn't really match me completely, so I need to get rid of it. So I'm on immunosuppression, which lowers my immune system and my ability to fight some other illnesses. So we actually rented um, like an outdoor small dining dome. And the four of us sat in this dome and had a a lovely dinner. And um, I don't know if you know this movie, but there's this movie called, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget it. It's with Bruce Willis. And um, Unbreakable, I think it's called. Okay. And the, the, the funny story at the transplant was my brother-in-law was coming out of anesthesia, and his brother was in his room with him. And my brother-in-law, who's my donor, woke up and said to him, how, you know, how did it go? Did it go okay? And, you know, he said, yeah. He's like, oh, good, because I, I had this thought or dream that, like, I was one of those unbreakables and that the scalpel just broke against my skin. So in the movie, there's this guy who was never, who could never get hurt. And so my brother-in-law had this dream that he was like that guy. So Mm. to celebrate, I had a little figurine made of that character for him and Mm. had it engraved. I'm, I'm so grateful you, I'm so grateful you were breakable. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. So that's how I celebrated. Now, when my dad, so my dad and I celebrated 
you know, every year, but the milestones, five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, the first year, uh, my mom got a beautiful statue. Mine was an angel, and his was a, uh, like a cowboy with his daughter standing next to him, a wooden sculpture. And then um, on our five-year, I think I bought a star for him. Um, and then I can't recall the 10-year, but then the 15-year, I worked at a, um, a motorcycle manufacturer in marketing and he was a, a motorcycle rider and so I bought him a rivet that's on the, the land of this the museum um, owned by this motor, you know, motorcycle manufacturer and so those are other ways that I tried to um, commemorate so when you, that. When you say motorcycle and you say Wisconsin I can just think of Harley. <laughs> You're bright yes. Oh. I yeah, I worked. I worked for eight years at Harley Davidson in the marketing and events department, and then in the um, Harley Owners Group. Um, and that it was, was super fun. Cool. It was really fun. Like I, my, before I became a life coach, I was um, seven or eight years in the event marketing world through an event agency, and then I, I transitioned into uh, after we adopted our daughter and she was nine months old. I went to work at, at Harley-Davidson. And so I got to go work Sturgis and um, Atlantic Beach Bike Week and National Bikers Roundup and all of these super cool places. Okay, very cool. All right, so now I'm going to transition into the amazing Jen, who's a life coach. So tell me about oh, your – because I'm going to – I'm going to use all that experience from the marketing aspect of your former life into, so tell me, how do you market your business, your, your services, and who's your ideal oh my client? Gosh. Sure. I mean, do you know how hard it is to market yourself versus market like a tangible product? No. I found it that way. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. So difficult. And Maybe I'm just starting to get the hang of it. I was lucky enough to um, contract with the company through which I got my certification for life coaching. So um, I was really branded under them, um, and they were great. They really gave me roots and gave me wings to fly. And so now um, I needed to decide where does Jen Frederick's coaching start and who do I serve? And who is my niche? Because I love to help everyone, right? But if you help everyone, you're helping no one. Right. Because no one can find you. So I actually did some work with um, a coach who I went through certification with, but who's also a brilliant brand strategist. And we did some personal brand discovery work. And, um, yeah, and, and cobbled my my personal plan together through that. And really I've just come to the realization that proactive resilience and helping people identify their resilience and then build their resilience for future challenges is really where I can shine. And, and once you learn that, no, let me not say the word learn. Once <laughs> no, because you know what it is. Like we said before, it's always right in front of your face. Yeah, and you're remembering almost. Exactly. And then you have to accept 
that this is my power, this is my strength, and oh my goodness, it was always here, right here. It was always right here, and yeah. And, and now I'm lucky it, enough. Like I, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was gonna say that like people always ask me how I was so resilient, and I didn't know, and so I started researching and. I found compassion fatigue. I'm like, yeah, I do that, but that's not quite right. You know, I, I looked at compassion resilience, and then I ran across the work of Linda Hoops, who's a organizational psychologist, and she identified seven resilience muscles that we all were born with and strategies with which to face challenges and how to manage our energy while we are navigating those challenges, and it's Resilience plus proactive equals prosilience. So we're intentionally building your capacity to deal with life's challenges like before you encounter them. When right. I read that, I said, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been doing all along. She has put language to my embodiment. She's put language to my experience. And so now I have a concrete way to share this with people. Exactly. And before you were twisting yourself, trying to figure out, okay, this is who I serve, this is who I serve, this is who I serve, this is, oh, that's not who I serve, that's not who I serve. You know, you were just blowing in the wind, as Bob Dylan would say. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, trying to get there, and it's like, oh, yeah. I, no, I I did the same gymnastic challenges that you you did, and yeah. when it hit me, it was like, are you serious? <laughs> and <laughs> because you know my coaching practice is literally drive. I felt like a pretender in my own skin. Yeah. And. I, I felt like when I was with myself, the way I say, inside my home, I was the true Heather. And mm-hmm. I could vocalize and and express my emotions honestly. And then when I went outside the door, I was the pretend Heather, mm-hmm. pretending to be whomever it was that I was with and, you know, mm-hmm. holding into their world. And it was like, it was such a hard road for me to travel. And then when the now ex-husband told me he was divorcing me and I traveled all of the roads of, you know, ending of a relationship, my career was at a stop, my mom had died, and I was mm. going through um, unknown, oh, I, I wouldn't say unknown. My doctor told me that I had postpartum, and I looked at him, and it's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. What? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, so I was going through that part of it. To him, I was more harmful to me. And my career versus anything else. But it was so funny. I looked at him and said, what do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Way to advocate for yourself. (laughs) 
Absolutely. <laughs> but, but when I finally accepted that this is my journey and stopped pretending that the world was perfect, mm-hmm. I found my voice. And I was able to speak to those mostly women who Mm -hmm. are being challenged by the same circumstances that I went through. And it became, the words words just flowed. And I'm sure it happened with you where once you accepted who you were, the words just flow in terms of you telling your clients, how you serve them, how you help them to rearrange or manage your life and face it in a very different way that's more resilient and productive and easy for them. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, like you had mentioned, really beginning to trust myself fully and really beginning to connect with and trust in my intuition of what I need and what the person I you know, what the person I'm serving is desiring. Exactly. And and that's and, and that's so people big. will say, Can you repeat what you just said? And I'll be like, I have no idea what I just said. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know the brilliant <laughs> you take notes on that? I hope you took notes <laughs> No, but well, I am super grateful you found your powerful voice. I'm super grateful that you found your resilience. And and that's what I'm finding out is like we are so resilient, but we tend to like, oh, that's not true. That's not true. No, that can't be me. And you know what else mm-hmm. I, I, um, I found out, and you probably too, you are the biggest, the greatest, most awesome cheerleader for everyone else but you. Mhm. And yeah. I was like, "Really? Oh no, no! You can do it. You absolutely have the skills. Whatever." And then when it comes to you, it's like, "No, I don't." Yep. It's that the self-talk that we give ourselves, and not talking to ourselves the way we would talk to a loved one or a client. Exactly. Yeah. What is so that now, about? I I don't know. If you figure it out, let me know. But now, okay, <laughs> I, I say I am so selfish for me, or as as I would say to my sister, I so put my um, my mask on first. You know, when I'm flying on that airplane, so it's like, mm, no, I'd rather you be unhappy <laughs> than me be unhappy. And it's like, okay, <laughs> and that's right. And that totally works for me. So, um, so tell me about your ideal client, and you know, does she have a name, and who is she, and what is she? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is just. So I have two, I think, because I have two passions, right? I have great, great experience in being a patient. Uh, I'm a three decade patient, and then I also have a great affinity and experience being a caregiver. So I don't really put, uh, you know, a he or she or age or anything. It's like those, the 
who are in these challenges in life, especially that are either life-changing diagnoses or life-threatening diagnoses, and people who don't wait, don't want to wait until everything is better to live better. Or okay. who are tired of living with chronic illness and want like chronic illness to live with them instead. So being able to manage your illness or your loved one's illness, but not allowing it to run your life. I would say people I work with are not um, quote unquote newly diagnosed. I would say you need to be a little bit out from a diagnosis because of everything else that you need to process and that you're in survival mode at that time. And you don't really have any extra energy to, to reach in and do some of that other work. Um, at that moment, you know, I remember my, my daughter's diagnosis. I was in survival mode. You know, we were in the hospital for a week and it was just get up, tend to her, go to sleep get up in the middle of the night, help, you know what I mean? So, like, there isn't a lot of extra space or energy at that time to really do the work to support you and sustain you through these marathons of illness. So I do tend to work with people who are a little out from diagnosis, have maybe processed some of that, are out of the shock piece of it, um, and help them devise strategies to have sustainable care for themselves and and live in a more content way. So where do you find them? How do you find them? That's a great question. I'm still working on some of that. You know, I live very close to a wonderful medical center, and I'm doing some workshops. Um, I do workshops at a local center for the healing arts that are more broad-based focused on um, perspective shifting. Mm-hmm. I'm working right now with a, um, a nonprofit who supports um, families and caregivers um, to come up with a, a workshop to support them. Um, and word of mouth. Uh, you know, so do you have a I've, blog? You know, so okay. why not? I I do I do. I recently, like I said, the the company I contracted with and who certified me gave me roots and gave me wings. As of the beginning of this year, I have fully dove into my purpose and my passion of helping patients and caregivers. And I have my website started and I have my social media going and I'm working on uploading past blogs that I have written, past articles I have written, and I am coming up with some of those other steps that I think are important to share with patients and caregivers as they start to navigate this journey. So right off the top of my head, you know, um, I go back to your past life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, my goodness. You know, you worked at Harley. And I said, oh, wow, that is such an amazing, because you had so many gifts that you received from them in terms of um, forging new roads and finding the clients and and stuff like that. So I'm like, how does she use that? 
skill set to attract those clients. And it's like, okay, you know, um, what are the hospitals around you? Um, you know, what are the nonprofits around you that deal with that? I love Google. It's my favorite tool sometimes. Yes, it's super helpful. Because <laughs> I go in yeah. and, I, and I go and ask, and I can't say her name because then she she'll want to start ask, answering questions. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, but it, it it's and I I don't know if you live in a. A, a populous city or a semi-popular or a rural area in that sense. Uh, it's, it's, it's populous enough, yeah. But, but again, it's right in front of your face. And my immediate thought is like, when you started your journey, your personal journey with yourself, and when you started that journey with your daughter, what were the questions that you were asking? And how did you find those answers? Because that's the same questions they're asking, and they need those answers. Right. That's super interesting because the one thing that comes to mind is wanting to reach out to hospitals and work with their support groups and all of that, you know. And I don't want to try to be um, lack mindset, but a lot of times you run into the issue of, oh, you're not a psychologist or psychiatrist. How can you, you're not a social worker. How can you as a coach provide well, and well, well, you said it. You were, what, 15 years out? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've been doing it for 30 years, so <laughs> well, the whole experience looking versus an, book learning. You're such an expert in your area, yeah. and you have such great wisdom in your area, and so many people want to hear your story of how you navigated. And, 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 and that's like what I said earlier, because we cheer for everybody else, but we don't cheer for ourselves. Right. And we have the tools and the resources, but we come up with self-doubt. Yes, ma'am. Um, I um, I resonate um, with that. And of saying that, oh, my goodness, we, we can't really do that because, but, you know, you have to forge a path. And you've been doing it for 30 years, and you did, you did it with your daughter. And it, it, it's such an amazing story of of you thriving. Share yeah. that share that. And, yeah. and that, well that's why I'm I'm that's why I'm here. You know, I I'm so grateful for those who open their, their platforms for me to be able to just start talking about it and I'm actually became um a caregiving dot com champion this past summer. So caregiving dot com is a, a wonderful website of resources for caregivers and while a lot of the caregiving.com champions have um, you know experience and specialty in helping aging parents or you know spouses or whatnot there are a few that have um, that experience 
caring for children or young ones. So that's sort of where I offer some of that insight. And as for the patient piece, um, I've been very lucky to do a couple of keynote speeches here in the area for National Kidney Foundation um, and a medical college here in the area um, just over the years. And so those are the types of connections I'm looking to make. And I know that it's it can be a slow burn. And to me, that's okay, because my focus is making an impact. Right. And and you keep that focus. And you keep asking the question. And last and after you ask the question, then it becomes, what do I want them to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when I say what do I want them to do, it's like, mm, well, technically I really want them to hire me. So, <laughs> so it's like, how do I solve their pain points that they hire me, which is your question. And then you have all your answers. You develop your answers. You know, it's just a great story of the how because we have and you have like I said such wealth of information to share and others are starving for that and as you redesigned your life into the success that you've attained others want the same thing and I learned something the other day from a friend of mine you know, I, I give speeches all the time, and I always came up with the results and the answers. And someone said to me, and it was like, it totally blew me off my feet. She said, you never really talk about your feelings. Yeah. And that was a game changer for me. So now every time I do a speech... I establish the feeling first, and then I talk about how I solved it, and and that what's resonates. So here is an amazing experience I had during my daughter's diagnosis that that you know reminds me of what you're speaking about there, and it's not a story that I lead with um, because it talks about the pain I was in, and I don't want people to feel more pain. Um, but during her diagnosis, we were in the hospital. It was maybe two days after her biopsy, and um, I had held it all together. I think I, I was able to hold it together that long because of my experience in you know medical facilities and dealing with doctors and all of those things. But all of a sudden, the, the room was just like spinning around me, and I could feel it all coming up to the surface. And... You know, my in-laws have just gotten there, and they're super supportive. Um, my husband was in, my daughter was in, and I didn't. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is where I'm going to lose it. And then all of a sudden, like, this calm came over me. This calm. It was in complete contrast to the other out-of-control, overwhelmed thoughts and feelings, like that storm that was inside of me, this this calm came over me and a voice outside of myself asked, who do you want to be for her? 
and then everything just was in focus. Because it wasn't asking me only what do I want to be for her. It was who, how do I want to show up in this? Do I want to be sterility and fear and all of those things that the hospital represents, or do I want to be warm and home and love? And I love that story. May I just suggest one word that will change the whole, uh, what's the word? I can't say the word tonight. The whole That's fine. vision, the whole atmosphere, the whole feeling of that story. Of course. I'm always Everything open. you said, start with the word imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because now you've put them in that, feel, that place of pain, and all your thing goes to answer that pain point. Right. Great story. And I, I'm going through a uh, currently a personal resilience practitioner certification and um, we're talking about the different resilience muscles that this you know training has researched and shows that we've all been born with positivity confidence priorities creativity connection and structure and experimenting And I always knew that my positivity muscle and my creativity muscle and connection muscle was high, and I didn't realize how strong my priority muscle was in that moment because I got a laser focus on what my purpose was. Absolutely. And and when you find that purpose, you just, it's cruise control. Cruise control all the way. It's guided my, it's guided my journey and and marathon with my daughter's illness since that moment. Yeah. So I'm going to take these last few moments or uh, minutes and we have like, I'm going to give you like, how do I, um, you know, because we talked about your client focus and who that person is and how you serve Mm -hmm. them. How do I get in touch with you? Sure. Well, very easily, I have an email. It's Jen, J-E-N-N, at ProSiliencecoach.com. Prosilience is spelled P-R-O-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E. So it's proactive plus resilience equals prosilience. Um, I'm also on Instagram at jfredwi. And then I have a Facebook page, Jen Frederick's Prosilience Coach. Um, those are probably the easiest ways and for people to get a little bit more um, idea of who I am and, you know, what I focus on. I also have a website called ProsilienceCoach.com. Um, and I do offer one-on-one consult, 30-minute uh, consult, complimentary uh, just so people can get an idea of the work I do, the focus and passion that I have, and to see if we'd be a good fit. Um, but for the most part, you know, I want to impact however I can. And so take a look at my social media. There are some gems that I drop there, uh, I've been told. You know, I post because I like to post, and then people are like, oh, that really helped me today. 
Um, but I think those are some of the best ways. Uh, and what's your favorite gem to drop? Oh, okay. Be where your feet are. Oh, tell me more. What does that mean? That means to be in the present moment, to try to live as mindfully as you can, pay attention on purpose, and then decide what the next quote-unquote right step is. Nice. And what's one thing you wish you had learned before? Trust my intuition. We all have such a connection to ourselves and to knowledge and to spirit and to energy. And if we just allow our minds to open enough to accept that and recognize it and see how it plays a part in our life, it could be so much more useful. Okay. So now that I know what you wish you learned, so when your life is ideal, what are you doing? Talking to lovely humans like you. I love them. This lights me up, man. Get, I, I was a theater major. So before I got into marketing, let me talk to people. Let me connect. Let me share. Let me sing and tap dance. But, no, I mean, ideal life for me is sharing things that I know can help people experience their life in a better way. It's hanging out with friends and experiencing joy with my family. It's listening and singing to music. It's going to live music concerts. It's allowing myself to feel what I'm feeling in whatever moment I'm in and knowing that it's temporary and that I can always find my way back to contentment and ease. So I feel guilty about? I feel guilty about, oh, man. Can I say drinking a Frappuccino earlier today after I had a really healthy lunch? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. I, I feel guilty. Okay, here's a big one. I actually feel like I caused my kidneys to fail. So that is a deep seed that I've been working on oh, myself. Wow. Right? So wow. what thirteen years old I caused my kid no, I didn't. My daughter has the same thought sometimes. What did I do to cause my brain tumor? And rationally it does not make sense. But then sometimes the seeds of that thought can come up and then I take a look at the facts. And I ask myself, is that true? And I say, no, it's not. So be gentle with yourself and move on with your day. Absolutely. Okay. You could go back to the um, the cappuccino or frappuccino. And- okay, great. Yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah. Yep. I, I feel guilty that I got a grande instead of a tall. <laughs> okay. No, I'm going to be gentle with myself on that, too. Okay, so here's a new question. Um, I would do blank if I knew I would not fail. 
I would do a TED Talk if I knew I would not fail. Oh, so I'm still going to throw a challenge down. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> I just met you and I knew you would. <laughs> you have to do a TED Talk. Oh, come on. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, TED Talk and you're like, oh, everyone trains to do a TED Talk. You have to pay lots of money to train to do a TED Talk and to get into the TED no, you don't. Oh, no. Um, no, you have to do it. Oh, you know, so what, I, I, what I've learned is that that's something that you desire to do. And that's mm-hmm. like a secret, um, a secret wish to say, I want to do a TED Talk. You know what my secret wish was? To write a book. Oh, I have that secret wish too. But I did it. <laughs> good, good. That's amazing. Well, so then I, what I'm hearing you ask me to ask myself is the question: Is that true? Do you need all of those things to do a TED talk? Correct. Well. Yeah. I don't think, I think what I'm hearing, uh, I'll correct, uh, I'll be specific. Uh There are limiting beliefs that you need to have those things to do a TED Talk and you don't. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, or let me put it in a very, in two words, those are your stories. Yep. And man, and, they create and you, stories. Yep, and you validate them by saying, I must do this, I need this, and you don't need any of that to do a TED Talk. No. Yeah, so. Nope. But so I we guess are, I need to come up with the subject. Yes, you, well, you have a subject. I certainly do. Yes, you do. Yeah. Brett, we are coming to the end of this amazing talk. Jen Fredericks, thank you. Um, thank you so much it's a great time and you know every Tuesday night at 9pm we do these live talk with an amazing woman who has redesigned her life and she shares how she redesigned her life whether she's facing the ending of a relationship uh, financial or health challenge or career stop or the loss of a loved one she tells you she tells you how she redesigned the life. So come back every Tuesday. And I'm Heather Mahoney. I am. I help others to redesign their life in a roadmap. And you can always find me at roadmapheather.com or on Twitter or X or Facebook or Instagram or wherever. Threads, even threads. I have Roadmap Heather. So come out and join us there. We're here every Tuesday night live. Next week, we will have an amazing story from Suzanne Jabor, and she's going to tell you how she redesigned her life. But in the interim, Jen Fredericks, thank you so much for your resiliency. Thank you for thriving. And you have a wonderful, wonderful, awesome Wednesday. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.